When the whole family comes together to watch the game, nobody wants to miss a second of the action to run to the grocery store. With Instacart, you can get all your weekly groceries in as fast as an hour. Less time shopping means more game time. Let's go. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and the restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Welcome into the Nightcap here on WGR. Zach Jones along with you for the next hour or so. Happy Tuesday. Again, lovely day outside. About 70 or so degrees. A little over there. Around, more around 75 a gorgeous day outside. Today on the nightcap, we talked a lot about the Bills yesterday. You know, their first two days at camp, Sunday and Monday, really dove into some of the, you know, I don't want to say stars, but definitely the people that are turning heads as, you know, camp begins. Of course, James Cook, Khalil Shakir. We talked a little bit about Kyrie Elam's, you know, kind of continuous one-on-one battles he's going to have with Stephon Diggs as camp rolls along just because of Tredavious White recovering from his torn ACL. But today I kind of want to broaden that a little bit and we're going to talk more just about the AFC East as a whole. Some of the news going around those teams, Patriots, Jets, Dolphins, as you know, each of those teams, mainly the Patriots and the Dolphins, are very much making headlines for just, I don't want to say dumb comments. That's not the right way to put it, but just comments being made about specific players, namely the quarterbacks. Because that's always what will get headlines going. We'll also dive in a little bit to some of the news from earlier today. Hollywood Brown of the Cardinals. He is going to start on the non-football related injury list for the Cardinals to start camp. Julio Jones is going to the Tampa Bay Bucks. So if you have Russell Gage, I'm sorry. Uh, John Lynch, I mentioned a lot in the updates and the headlines today. Talking about Debo Samuel. He also mentioned, essentially, without right saying it, but did say it. Jimmy Garoppolo is no longer the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. It is Trey Lance's team. Uh, Joe Burrow underwent a small surgery, an appendectomy, so he's not expected to miss much time. And then in baseball, Giancarlo Stanton of the Yankees, he's going on a 10-day IL with tendonitis. But, of course, getting back to the AFC East, we'll hit a lot of those other notes as we go along uh, tonight. But I do want to mention some of these quotes slash just talking points that some of these players and coaches are offering up to people for really no reason. But we'll start with the one that I don't really think is is as egregious as the other one. That's the New England Patriots with Mac Jones. Bill Belichick says, you know, he sees tremendous strides during the NFL offseason. Apparently Mac Jones is coming in much better shape than he did as a rookie. He looks better, blah, 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 blah. And you've probably heard a lot of people say the exact same thing. Why, for 20 years, could Bill Belichick not say a single nice thing about Tom Brady after winning a ton of Super Bowls, but with Mac Jones, you know, the moment he drafted him, he started saying really, really nice things about him. And I agree with most people's kind of, you know, return to that, which is, well, they're different players, likely. Tom Brady is someone that probably strives on the fact that his coach never says anything nice about him, or the fact that, you know, he has all these haters, or or whatever. 
he's probably a player that strives on that. Where Mac Jones is not somebody that strives on that. Mac Jones is someone that strives on the fact that he gets a pat on the back or someone telling him like how good he did in practice that day or that game or just someone constantly giving him you know reassurance that he is in the right direction, stuff like that. And I don't have a fault with either one of those avenues for athletes or for coaches or whatever. That's more than okay. One does not make you stronger than the other. Truthfully, I think both have absolutely negatives and positives. We talked a little bit about it when I talked about Baker Mayfield uh, now being on the Carolina Panthers and how you know he was somebody that never really found that different sort of motivation. It was always the haters. It was always the I, you know I had to be a walk on and, and now I'm the first overall pick. But once you became that first overall pick, that sort of underdog story was gone. If if they made a Hollywood movie, that's likely where your movie ends. You were a walk-on, you did great in college, you won the Heisman, and now you're the number one overall pick. Your underdog story is gone. You need to find something else. Now with Mac Jones and Tom Brady, potentially, again, this is for both of them, you don't really need to find new motivation with a lot of that stuff. Brady, maybe a little bit, just in terms of once you've hit a certain level of success, there won't really be many haters, I guess. There won't really be a ton of people coming after your success as a player. And in Mac Jones's case, as long as you keep playing well, people will keep patting you on the back. They'll keep telling you how great you are. So there's really, for both of them, there's not really this constant need to kind of grab stuff. But in, in Tom Brady's case, if, if that is his form of motivation, there could be a little bit where you've almost had too much success and that could hamper you, know, you getting motivated, I guess. I guess for me, though, when I look at this, not, not that I raise an eyebrow, I'm not, I'm not laughing at this, but it's just for me, and I mentioned it a little bit on Show and Bulldog when we were talking about you know uh, the point differentials for Miami and New England in week one and how Miami is a two-and-a-half-point favorite, and I would absolutely take the points for Miami's win. Number one, it's in Miami. Bill Belichick's teams just straight-up don't play good in South Florida. But also, I said outright, I think New England is a bad football team. I don't like much that they have going on. And I've mentioned that. I don't like that Josh McDaniels is gone. That will kind of screw up you know, the run games that they've had going on. It could transition perfectly. I doubt it. They have no offensive coordinator. It sounds like Bill Belichick could really be diving into that, which that gives me no reassurance if I'm a Patriots fan. Their wide receiver core is nothing to even write home about. It's not a report card you would happily show your parents. And so when I look at the Patriots' offense, I don't really see any positives, really. I think... You know, Mac Jones has likely reached near, if not his ceiling. And to just hear that, oh, well, he's come, you know, he's come in and he looks so much better. He looks so much more prepared. He's taking, you know, huge strides. What are those strides? I, I mean, in all honesty, what are they? This is what you got. When the Patriots drafted him, everyone said the exact same thing. You, you got a pretty much finished product. He's going to be the absolute most pro-ready. Which, by the way, at this point, if I'm drafting a quarterback... Hearing pro-ready, unless you're a generational talent, is absolutely a negative to me. It means there is a, it's a short ceiling. And I'm 6'3". Short ceilings, I hate those houses. I hate those apartments. I don't like it. Which means I'm probably not going to love this quarterback pick. If there's a short ceiling there that I have to duck my head to get in to a house or an apartment, I'm not going to like it. And that's sort of Mac Jones. It's Kenny Pickett this year. There isn't a ton of upside there. There's not a ton of... You know, movement in terms of what they can actually do for your football team. But, you know, if he needs this motivation, why not? Why not? I'm all for it. That's fine. Again, like I said, it neither 
is is the wrong way to go about it with motivating players. Not neither of them are. I just think with the Patriots, especially, I I see these like drastic differences in in who actually is going to be good this year, who won't be. And in the one team that seemingly consistently is sort of, you know, you have my opinion, which is I think they're going to be bad, but then you also have you know the same opinion or from you know the same company or whatever think that they could be great. And it's just the Patriots do seem to be that team this year that no one really can kind of zero in on of where they think they're at. Nate Davis today of USA Today put out his you know his predictions, his record predictions. The summer's over, everyone's back at camp. And today was the first official day where every single team, all 32, are at camp. And he put out his predictions. In the AFC East, not a ton of surprise at the top. 15-2 and two for the Buffalo Bills. Howard Simon also this morning did Howard Picks the Bills. He did the same thing, 15-2. and two. I have no issues with that. I think the Bills are absolutely the best team in football. They would finish the NFL, in the NFL with the best record in football if this were to go correctly. They'd do it by two games. The Bucs would be 13-4 and four by Nate Davis's predictions. But it's his second-place team, the Patriots, 10-7. and seven. I don't see a world where the Patriots win 10 games. I don't. And again, maybe that's me, you know, seeing how they were last year and really not liking much, especially at the end of the year, potentially. But I go through the schedule. We, you know, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. At Miami to start, at Pittsburgh to start. So first two weeks, they're on the road. I think they're absolutely losing week one. I just said I would absolutely take the points with Miami Dolphins at two-and-a-half-point favorite. The Lions haven't come out with Pittsburgh. I'm not surprised that it's week two. I think that one's probably a toss-up. Mitch Trubisky, I think, probably is still starting for the for the Steelers at that point. I, I would be a little surprised if Kenny Pickett's the starter right out of the gate, especially the fact that they did go out and get Mitch Trubisky. They clearly did think he could be a bridge starter for them. So let's say that, you know, at worst, they're one, or, you know, in my mind, at best, they're one and one there. Then they get Baltimore at home. Baltimore's absolutely winning that game. Absolutely winning that game. At Green Bay. Green Bay's wide receiver core it might be one of the worst in the league, but I trust you know the back-to-back league MVP to win that game against a defense that seemingly does not necessarily have a good secondary. Detroit at home. I think Detroit's a very improved team. But I wouldn't you know be surprised in this in saying, you know, I c I can't see the Lions really winning that game. I think they're absolutely vastly improved, but in my mind there's still this sort of can I see Dan Campbell, though, beating Bill Belichick? Yes, it's in Detroit. Or, I'm sorry, that's in um, in New England. So I, I, that's definitely an advantage to them. At Cleveland, we still don't know what's going on with Deshaun Watson. Still have no idea. I think, however, after San Francisco GM John Lynch's comments, I do think Jimmy Garoppolo could absolutely wind up in, San Francisco, or in Cleveland for a year. I absolutely could see that. Chicago. At home, probably going to win that game. At the Jets, probably going to win that. Indianapolis, I think, is absolutely going to be an Indianapolis win. I like Matt Ryan better as a quarterback than I have the last two guys I've had. Phillip Rivers wasn't bad. Carson Wentz, less so. Then you get the Jets again, this time at home. At Minnesota. Minnesota could absolutely beat them. Although that is a Thursday night game, so I guess that's iffy if I actually trust Kirk Cousins in primetime. Then you finally get Buffalo. At Arizona, at Vegas, Cincinnati, Miami, at Buffalo. It's out of that bye that they seemingly could lose all but one of those games. And I think likely would be 
favored and probably won, and that's the Jets. But as I've said, I think the Jets are an overly improved team, and that if Zach Wilson is just an average quarterback, I think they split with the Patriots. Because I don't see them going 0-6 in the division again. They were the only team in the NFL to go 0-6 in their division last year. The Jets are an improved team. I do not think the Patriots are. I think the Patriots did get worse. So when I see like 10-7 and with the Patriots, I do sit there and I'm like, I could see them losing every game out of the bye. And I could see them having a losing record or a 500 record going into the bye. The Patriots do not have that same aura about them. And it shows by the by the fact that people are, you know, really pointing out comments that Bill Belichick makes. You know, who cares that, you know, he's, he's more, uh, you know, uh, affectionate is not the right word, but more complimentary of his new starting quarterback than he was of his previous one. Who cares? Tom Brady, through most of the stuff he says, clearly shows that he's kind of a psychotic athlete on the level of Michael Jordan. So who cares that he, you know, he wasn't you know, kissing the rings? It, it, you know, Who cares? It's more because a lot of the stuff that's bad about Bill and Belichick has really started to come to light. And it has put the Patriots in a really bad light in the sense of, well, what are you now? Because before, you always had, you know, the, uh, it was essentially the great equalizer. It was Tom Brady. Didn't matter if your defense was fine that year, not great. Didn't matter if you didn't have great weapons. Brady would make it work, right? He would, he would just always make it work. They'd be 11, 12, 13 win team in a bad division, and they'd cruise to the second round because they'd probably be either the first or second seed in the AFC every year. That's not That's not the case anymore. And they're in a league where... Every team has to be the 2007 Patriots where you are scoring in bunches. You are blowing teams out. You are throwing the ball all over the yard. And this team has proven they don't want to do that and they're unwilling to adapt to do it. But going to the team that, they want, that they're going to play week one, the team that I believe is going to finish second in the AFC East, and that's the Miami Dolphins. But I will say this. Tyreek Hill needs to stop talking. Seriously. He is putting so much unnecessary pressure on a guy who's already coming into this season with maybe the most pressure of any starting quarterback in the National Football League into a tongue of Iloa. Why does Tyreek Hill continue to overly compliment Tua? I don't understand that. And I've never really understood, you know, a new player coming to a team or or you know, vice versa, a player leaving a team, this overly complimentary, you know, behavior. It's always come off as disingenuous and somewhat pandering to to a certain extent. I've never liked it. I've never taken it very seriously. And that's even, you know, towards the Bills. You know, I, I think Stefan Diggs, like I I I may be misremembering this, but he said something like, you know, Josh Allen has like the strongest arm he's ever played with. And I'm like, oh no, it was Emmanuel Sanders, excuse me. You know, Emmanuel Sanders said like Josh Allen was the best quarterback he's ever played with. And I'm like, well, you're currently playing with him. I hope you wouldn't say, well, he's definitely the worst quarterback I've ever played with. But he'd play with Manning and Roethlisberger. But to me, I never took that, those quotes seriously. I just don't. Because, of course, you'd say that. Look who you're playing with now. And it's sort of the same thing with Tyreek Hill. But now, don't get me wrong. I did like, you know, on, uh, I want to say it was either first take or the podcast when he said, you know, you know between Tua and, and Zach Wilson, you know, why he picked Tua. And, he, you know, he was not dismissive of Zach Wilson. I mean, I, I found that very respectful, you know, and good on that. Good on Tyreek of, you know, not being dismissive of another young quarterback. But it's the way he talks about Tua that I'm just like, 
man, you are just setting these unrealistic expectations for a quarterback that is on the hot seat. Tua is on the hot seat. Teddy Bridgewater is right behind him. Bridgewater is absolutely a serviceable quarterback to finish out a season to get you to the next draft pick. And when he's out here saying that, well, I want to play with the most accurate quarterback in the NFL, man, look, he might be, but why are you doing this again? Every time he talks about Tua, it is just this over grandiose statement about him, the most accurate quarterback in football, and how he'd prefer playing with a quarterback like Tua because of his accuracy rather than Patrick Mahomes, who essentially made Tyreek Hill from a gadget, fun special teams player into maybe one of the best deep ball receivers of all time. Stop putting this unnecessary pressure on this guy. And I've heard people even say, too, like Tua should probably get on the phone and be like, hey, can you stop talking about me? Can you Can you just not? And I look at it a lot of like the sense of Tyreek is probably thinking, and no, I'm not necessarily saying incorrectly because I mean he's he's building up his boy. I mean like him and Tua maybe like essentially now brothers in that sense. Like they may be genuinely good friends now. But it almost feels like the tweet yesterday from Ian Rapport talking about Kyler Murray's contract extension and how that first tweet seemed to like paint it like Kyler Murray was like super happy this was in the contract and he couldn't be happier and this is also important to him. And it's just like, it's the most tone-deaf thing I've ever heard in my life. Read what that contract is saying. It was It's essentially treating Kyler Murray like a child. Why would he accept that? Why would he look at it as a positive? And, of course, you know, Rapport comes out later and, and essentially on air for the NFL Network basically says, like, yeah, they don't uh, super really trust him. This is, you know, not a really good look on Murray. And everyone was like, well, yeah, duh. That's what we were all saying for like an hour and a half before you got on air. With Hill, it's sort of the same thing of, like, you're building him up so much that if he does, in fact, not play great to start the season, all of these comments just keep coming back and hitting him far harder than they did before. And and I feel bad for Tua, in a sense. As much as I like making fun of the Dolphins and the fact that they've kind of been, you know, I'm not going to lie, but a bit of a pushover for much of the Josh Allen era, even though they're an ascending team, and I think they absolutely are, the games, even when the Bills play bad, wind up like 35 nothing. I look at, you know, last year's game in Miami where I left the game looking around going, oh, that was kind of the most ugly thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, Allen had, I think, a completion percentage of like 52. He was missing a lot of throws. Like, there clearly were points left on the board, but it, it was 35 nothing. It was a blowout. It was never close. That's That's what the Miami games have been. Blowouts. Games you, like, stop paying attention at halftime and just hope there's no injuries because you're like, ah, we won. That's that's another that's another check in the win column. But I feel bad for Tua because like this entire offseason has just been him getting pummeled constantly by just either bad and I mean atrocious PR from the Miami Dolphins. Who allowed that one throw from minicamp to come out? That deep ball to Tyreek Hill. I still to this day, I just, who allowed that to pass through? Because it's not one of those where like the admin of that Twitter account is just like, nah, I just take it, I, I throw it out there. It's about their franchise quarterback and a guy that gets a lot of scrutiny. Not necessarily in the Miami market. I don't know how you know massive that market is in terms of talking sports radio all, all day, every day. But everywhere else, Tua's talked about it a lot in terms of just you know essentially beating him down. He's not that good of a quarterback. We think he's going to get benched. I think he's going to get benched. But he's like just been almost the whipping boy of of criticism all offseason, and I feel bad. And I, and I almost cringe every time I see a Tyreek Hill quote talking about Tua because I'm just like, dude, he's not going to live up to that. He's not going to live up to the constant buildup that he's hitting. 
I don't think he is. Is there a potential that he goes out this year, throws 35 touchdowns, is the most accurate quarterback in football, only throws like five picks, and is amazing? Sure. Absolutely. Because, you know, it's never a 0% chance, right? There's nothing in this earth that is a 0% chance. It's not above three. I wouldn't bet my house on it. Wouldn't bet my career on it. Absolutely not. So when I see this, I'm just like, oh, Hill, what are you doing? Stop. Leave him alone. And I want Tua to fail in a sense. As a Bills fan, in a sense, I want Tua to fail, right? Because if Tua becomes a Hall of Fame quarterback, it's one more problem my favorite team has to deal with, right? But I don't hate Tua as a person. Tua seems like a great guy, has since he was at Alabama. So there is a part of me that feels really bad that like every day it feels like I'm tr- I'm going on Twitter when I wake up and I just see another quote about Tua, another bad video that the Dolphins released about Tua. And I'm just like, how does this keep happening? At a certain point, it does feel like they want him to fail. And then Hill is saying all this stuff so that in week four, when Tua and the offense are not doing that great and Hill's numbers are clearly dipping, when he goes after him, the comments just make the wave of criticism even more. It just It's a bigger hit for Tua. I think Miami's absolutely going to be in the market for a quarterback next year. I don't think it'll be Tom Brady. I think that ship has sailed. Jimmy Garoppolo maybe, but I think they're more going to try to trade up for one. But I think Detroit could as well. I think Philadelphia could as well. So that could be a whole mess. But I, just, I do feel bad for the guy. I really do. Someone I don't feel bad for, going over to the Jets now, Mekhi Becton. Jets reported to camp today, and Mekhi Becton, left tackle for the Jets, has sort of been somebody that's also been under a heap of criticism, not coming into shape for minicamp. Seemed like the Jets coaches were somewhat giving up on him. There was rumors going into the draft that they would draft his replacement at left tackle. And yet today, he reports to camp, you know, weigh-ins, all that stuff, and every report out of Jets camp is how everyone is stoked for how Mekhi Becton looks. They are thrilled. Because Becton has all the talent in the world. He is a phenomenal left tackle. He was in his rookie year. But weight and injuries have really caused you know, a bit of an issue in his second year. And you know, to a certain extent, the end of his first year. But now he comes in, he looks much better. And you know that helps me as well because I, you know, maybe on the station the biggest Jets defender... I don't think they're going to be good. I think they're just going to be better than the Patriots. I, I think that like that's where more where I'm at. I think the Patriots are going to be that bad that the Jets will surpass them because I think eventually the Jets were going to have to get solid. They were not going to have to be great, but they're going to have to be a solid team in the NFL. And I like Zach Wilson more than most. I liked last year's quarterback draft class a ton. I'm also a big Davis Mills defender. So I guess it's kind of been my thing. Like I, I, I now focus on Jets news and stuff like that along with the rest of the AFC teams. Maybe more... Just because like, I do think they're better than people give them credit for. I think in the long run, the Jets could really be that team that for an extended period of time give the Bills fits. And that's of course, I mean, you know, if Robert Salah really is the coach, I think he definitely can be. I think Joe Douglas is absolutely the right GM for them. His drafting the last p- few years has proven that. He kind of got screwed over a little bit with Carl Lawson getting hurt last year. That was his big you know, marquee signing on, on the defensive end. And he gets hurt in minicamp. I think, no, no, first day of training camp last year. So it's been a, a full year now since. So he felt bad for him there. And, I, you know, Zach Wilson's got a little bit of a swag to him. 
He got made fun of a lot last year. It's sort of the same thing with Tua. Like, I don't really want Tua to succeed just because the Dolphins do kind of scare me a little bit more than the Jets currently. But there's something about Zach Wilson, I think the way he plays the game, that I'm like, all right, he's like a less annoying Aaron Rodgers in the sense of, you know, his throwing motion's kind of the same. He moves somewhat the same. And I can deal with that a little bit more. With Tua, I just feel bad because I think he was always overdrafted. I I never thought Tua was a first-round quarterback. He was always just going to be a great backup. But we're in the age now, and we have been for a little bit, that just because you run a great college offense, you all of a sudden should be, you know, one of the first quarterbacks taken in the draft. I just I never subscribe to that theory. I just never have. Truthfully, if you were on an average college offense with a ton of elite traits, I'll probably take you over the guy that put up, you know, forty touchdown passes on the number one team in the country. Because as we see with college football now, and I'll and I'll talk a lot more college football as we get closer to that season starting. But if we look at you know, we look at college football now, it's it's like four or five teams that truly have like NFL talent every single year. I mean, just a ton of NFL talent. Guys that are on the bench will play for a year, and you'll every NFL scout will be like, "No, we've been eyeing this guy out since like he was like seventeen year old high school." And you're like, "What? How?" And they all wind up on like the you know the same three or four schools: Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia. Really, now has become that one. For a little while, it was Florida State. They've kind of te- uh, you know tapered off a little bit. A&M is going to be very much up there very soon. So I, you know, I I never understood the tank for Tua stuff. Tua being taken over Herbert, I was okay-ish with, just because I didn't really know what Herbert was going to be. I really didn't. But now, obviously, you're looking back at it and you're like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And I, and to be fair, I hear stuff with you know uh, Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, and I do kind of wonder. I wonder how much he played into picking Tua because of the media hype around Tua rather than actually watching him, just seeing kind of Alabama football, seeing those scores, and treating it very much like an Andre Ware-David Klingler thing in Houston from the 80s and 90s where it was the run and shoot. Well, they, I mean, they put up a ton of points in college, cut that in half is what they're putting up in the NFL. When it's just, it's not, it's not the case. It never has been. And so, I, you know, I do wonder how Tua got through a lot of those scouting you know, developments and, and the combine and all that stuff. And people didn't sit there and go, Ooh, mm, this, I don't know if this is sustainable because he, I, you know, I, that was my big thing too, with two is to to succeed in the NFL, truly at an elite level to justify being a top 10 NFL pick will have to be Drew Brees part two. That's where you have to be. I think people forget too with Drew Brees before he was hurt in San Diego, he had a strong arm, but his injury did limit that. But Breeze was always a very accurate quarterback, and he really refined that after his shoulder injury. But it took time. And to be fair, his, the start of his career was not great. And I thought Tua to succeed with his lack of mobility, his lack of athleticism, his lack of size, his lack of arm strength, he would have to be Drew Brees reincarnate. He would have to be a regen of Drew Brees. And he's just not that. Because to be fair, Drew Brees is, is a one-of-one. His style of quarterback very rarely ever succeeds. He's very rarely ever just not a backup quarterback. But he made it work with his style. And even now, looking back, it is kind of crazy that he threw for all those yards the way he did. We're going to take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're going to run through the rest of the NFL. Some news broke today. Julio Jones is a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. He's going back to the AFC South. 
We're going to talk a little bit about the San Francisco 49ers. Debo Samuel could be getting close to a deal, and Trey Lance looks to be the starting quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. That coming up here after this quick timeout on the Nightcap on WGR. Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up. Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs. Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Welcome back to the Nightcap here on WGR. Just making our way through the NFL tonight, talking about some of the early camp storylines going on as every NFL team starting today is officially at training camp. One I do want to talk about because I'm very bullish on this team this season is the San Francisco 49ers with Trey Lance. And that, to me, is the important part. It is with Trey Lance. With Jimmy Garoppolo... I think they have a ceiling very similar to the New England Patriots, just in a very different sense. Kyle Shannon, I find currently, in the current model that they are, is a better coach suited to his team than Bill Belichick is to his. Bill Belichick overall is the better coach, but Kyle Shannon right, Kyle Shanahan right now, with, his, with this team he has set up in San Francisco, is the better coach. He gets more out of them. And Jimmy Garoppolo was a fine quarterback to get them there. I think Jimmy Garoppolo overall is a below-average quarterback, but for what Kyle Shanahan asks him to do, he's more than serviceable. But Trey Lance offers them so much more. More than I think Shanahan has ever had in a quarterback. Because you know Matt Ryan, of course, is maybe the most notable example of a, of a good quarterback he's had. But Lance offers the athleticism, and today... At their introductory press conference, GM uh, John Lynch offered a few notes. Number one, the team is having productive talks with star wide receiver Debo Samuel. I'm not too surprised by that. Samuel himself showed up to camp. I think the reports are right now that he he expects to practice rather than hold in. And that Lynch was also quoted in saying he believes something is going to happen here in the new future in regards to that contract. I fully do agree, though, and I, and I will say this real quick. I fully agree with Samuel not wanting to be that sort of dual-threat player that San Francisco used him as, both as their number one wide receiver and, in a way, their number one running back. I get why he doesn't want to do that, and I fully agree with that. 
You're here to you know make your money, yes, but you do want to have a long career. You want to have a long, healthy, successful career. If Samuel just kind of allowed San Francisco to use him as both their number one wide receiver, number one running back, he may have a successful career. He may make a good amount of money, but he certainly in him he certainly is not going to have a long career anywhere near what he could have if he was just a starting running back or a starting receiver. And he wants to be a starting receiver, and I totally understand why. He had over 1,400 yards last year. He was spectacular for the 49ers. At times, he was their offense. So I can get why he doesn't want to do what they're asking him to do right now, or what they did last year. But it's an encouraging sign to hear that, you know, John Lynch expects something to happen. That, you know, the talks are going so positively that at this point, he's not really worried. But Trey Lance, to me, is just, he's such, he's such an interesting prospect. I talked a little bit yesterday about, you know, anonymous defensive coordinator talking about Lamar Jackson and, and, you know, if he wins 11 MVPs, he's still just a number one athlete, not a number one quarterback. And I want to, and I, and I didn't bring this up last night and I kind of wish I did, but it fits better now because Lynch essentially handed the keys over. Him and Shanahan both handed the keys over to Lance. That is his team. He was drafted third overall in last year's draft. He's ready to go. But there's also an anonymous NFL defensive coordinator that said that if Jimmy Garoppolo was in fact traded, he's an NFC defense coordinator, that if Jimmy Garoppolo was traded, it would be a, you know a Christmas come early type moment. And I'm just, I'm now, I've always known this, or at least I've always had this feeling but it's it's becoming more and more obvious that you know the longer I've been alive and the more I I really do pay attention to football, especially just, you know for my job because I love it. Man, some of these guys got to start retiring. The game is different, gentlemen. It is different. So stop acting like because Trey Lance and Lamar Jackson are not these pocket quarterbacks twenty four seven that all of a sudden well it can never work. It's never going to work. Russell Wilson won a Super Bowl. I know they may not want to admit this, but Aaron Rodgers, early in his career especially, was incredibly mobile and scrambled a ton. Won a Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes runs a lot, scrambles a lot. Won a Super Bowl. Josh Allen likely is going to win a Super Bowl at some point in his career. Herbert moves around. And this thing too, I can understand not wanting just essentially a running threat. I can understand that. That I totally get. You know, back in the 90s, Randall Cunningham was, you know, considered the ultimate weapon in the NFL for the Eagles. But he was never given an offensive coach, and so his passing game was always erratic. It was never, you know, fine-tuned. But as a runner, he was always dangerous. And he had one truly great year in Philadelphia. I think he had like 33 touchdowns, like 10 picks. He made the Pro Bowl, and it was by far his best year in Philadelphia as a passer. But the team overall was not necessarily that great. They were fine. It was only his Minnesota years, or year, late, late in his career, where he really exploded as a passer. His legs very much were behind him in the sense of age. He was not able to move the way he used to, but he still had the cannon, and at that point, he was a much more refined quarterback. Michael Vick, though, to me, is always that example of someone that early in his career was much more of the dangerous weapon. But as he got later in his career, namely with the Eagles, he'd become a much more refined, well-rounded quarterback. But the difference is here is Lamar Jackson has come into the NFL a much more refined quarterback than any of these guys before. 
Lamar Jackson, obviously, in his MVP season, threw 36 touchdown passes. Now, I will agree, I would like to see him get closer to 4,000 yards passing. That feels much more sustainable than, you know, 3,200 yards passing, 1,000 yards rushing, right? 4,000 yards passing feels much more sustainable. But Trey Lance, I really don't understand these arguments of, you know, oh, it's a a Christmas gift come early because, you know, Jimmy Roppel is this great quarterback. Who ever believed that? Jimmy Garoppolo has always been average to below average. He's been exactly that. The highest point Jimmy Garoppolo's career was in terms of, oh, is he somebody? Was like those six games he played when he got traded to the San Francisco 49ers. That's the high point of Jimmy Garoppolo's ability. The year they went to the Super Bowl, what did he do in the playoffs? He threw like a total of like 20 passes. To get to them to the Super Bowl. And when asked to make one singular throw to really win the game, he could not do it. He missed Emmanuel Sanders. Wide open, missed him deep. But Lance will come in. He did not have to play much of his first year. He was he came in sparingly. He was in a little bit when Jimmy Garoppolo was hurt. But you know, for the most part, he got to sit back, watch, and learn from the best offensive mind in football in Kyle Shanahan. So when he comes in this year, and I will say this, I do believe he will be that second-year pop player. The guy that no one was talking about their rookie years. And he just pops. Boom. He's a star. Trevor Lawrence, I don't really count that. Lawrence has been talked about since he was 17 years old. He could have been abysmal in his rookie year and popped his second year. And there, and there always would have been defenders. There was never somebody that fell off that. Apparently he had a perfect you know, practice today with no pads on and... It, I hate I hate training camp stories. I really do. I like when like I like the stories of when like you know someone looks smooth. They look like an NFL player, not you know. Well, he completed every single pass today. I, why do I care about that? But that I digress. Lance is going to come in this year and be explosive because Lance himself can add to the running game, but he can add even more to the passing game. He has a guy in Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. He's the one guy who draft circles both seemingly got right, and yet he's never used on his team. Brandon Ayuk is a solid receiver, taken in the second round, looks really good, has all the tools, and just it's it's almost like he is left behind, but now seemingly he has that second wide receiver spot locked down. Lance is going to have a solid O-line. The Shanahan run game, which is essentially just throw somebody back there that can you know find the hole the offensive line makes, and, and they're going to be fine. They're, they're going to make it work. He gets George Kittle, a really, really good defense, and a coach who has been here and done that a number of times now. Shanahan, when his teams aren't literally riddled by injuries, is a shoe-in playoff team with a below-average quarterback. Could you imagine if they had an above-average quarterback last year? They are without a doubt in the Super Bowl. Without a doubt, they're in the Super Bowl. They had to grind their way through the Green Bay game. Arizona, they kind of they kind of dog washed Arizona in the wild card game. I'll, I'll give them like they kind of whooped on Arizona, and then they get the Rams, and if they could have just had a quarterback who could really have put that game away when they were up, they could have beat Cincinnati. Absolutely, I probably would have favored them. But Jimmy Garoppolo was always just an average to below average quarterback, and now they're potentially going to upgrade. And I'm glad the 49ers haven't really found themselves stuck in the, oh, well, Jimmy Garoppolo took us to two NFC Championship games. No, he didn't. 
Oh, I hate when I hear that of just, well, this guy, you know, he led him to two NFC Championship games. Just say he's a solid leader. Just say he was pretty good for is a rah-rah guy or to get guys to work harder. But Jimmy Garoppolo has never fooled anyone to thinking that he was the reason they all of a sudden were in the Super Bowl. That he was not the reason they were there. He is one of the reasons they didn't win. He was also that in the NFC Championship game. Because when asked to make a throw, when asked to win a game for his team, to put his team on his back, and to make his team better, be truly what a quarterback is supposed to be, which is elevate your team to the next level. That's what you're supposed to be. In a sense, it's a nicer way to say game manager, right? That's just, I mean, that's what a quarterback is, is a game manager who is bent to elevate his team to the next level. Garoppolo never did that. Never did that for San Francisco. He was carried by an elite team that was loaded everywhere by a coach who could seemingly pick a running back off the street and he'll get him 900 yards in a season. Or for a game or two, we'll get him like 125 yards. But with Lance, with somebody that has a lick of athleticism, and Lance has far more than that. He has the size, strength, speed to really be a game-breaker in the NFL. Lance was the guy, and this is going to go back a little bit, that I wanted if, if Allen failed in his third year. We had seen the progressions from year one and two, but there was still that sort of, Ugh, what if he stagnates? The second year was always supposed to be the pop year. That was supposed to be the year you're like, ooh, okay, they're here. And Allen's second year was not necessarily that. It was better, but it was not. There were still a lot of questions. Again, he had never thrown for a 300-yard football game. He, he, you know, he never really had that one game passing-wise where you were like, oh, there, he, that's, that's the guy. We got it right. He had a bunch of those his third and fourth year. Nearly every game, it felt like. But it took to the third year. So going into that season, I, you know, as a draft junkie that I am, Trey Lance was a guy that threw 25 touchdowns and no picks, had the same size and ability that Allen had, but seemingly was a bit more polished. Not perfect, but a bit more polished. And I was somebody... I thought the best thing that Sean McDermott and Brandon B. did their first year with Buffalo was make the playoffs because it gave them that sort of cushion that if Allen had failed, that they could convince ownership, give us one more chance to get this guy. Get us, give us one more chance to get the quarterback, and we will get that right. So Lance was a guy that I was, you know, I was genuinely looking for very much as a potential animal replace if, if that went wrong. So when San Francisco got him, I thought, well, that's a done deal. He's going to succeed. He's, he's going to succeed. Absolutely. Why wouldn't he? He has a great team around him. And a team now that as much as I've kind of bashed them for taking too long on trading Jimmy Garoppolo, they seemingly understand that, look, they're probably not going to get a ton for him. And that's fine because now they're transitioning the team over to this is Trey Lance's team and he is going to carry the way. Other NFC West news before we hit a break. DK Metcalf for the Seattle Seahawks has reported to camp. I think there were some rumors that he may not, just because obviously Russell Wilson's gone. What's going to go on there? You know, Drew Locke, Geno Smith, that's a tire fire. But he's there. He's at camp. But midseason trade deadline? A.J. Brown got dealt, and that was stunning. I thought he was absolutely going to be a Tennessee Titan for at least the next five, six years. But he's now a Philadelphia Eagle. Deacon Metcalf could be an interesting grab for the AFC arms race that's going on, trade deadline type stuff. 
an NFC team trying to make that last ditch effort to really, you know, bolster their team just that little bit more. Could be interesting. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to go through a little bit more of the NFL, talk a little Yankees-Mets. Subway Series begins tonight. We'll do that when we come back here on the Nightcap on WGR. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Nightcap. Wrapping up the hour here. Real quick segment, just want to talk a little bit about the Subway Series that's beginning between the New York Mets and the New York Yankees, both of whom are having spectacular series. The Mets are at 59 wins, and the Yankees at 66, both having spectacular years. The Mets, I definitely thought coming into this year would be good, but the injuries to DeGrom and Scherzer did have me you know, a little worried for them overall, but they have been spectacular. Scherzer's back, DeGrom is working his way back. The Yankees... Went on a bit of a skid there, but they have just been one of the best teams I've seen in a long time in baseball. They have just been crushing the ball. Aaron Judge looks every bit worth the money the Yankees wanted to pay him and all the much more. He's homered so far tonight. So has Aaron or Anthony Rizzo, but the Mets are up 4-2 after a Sterling Marte home run and an Eduardo Escobar home run as well. Pete Alonso doubled to get them to three to two it is now four to two Mets but want to say this is a two-game series I will say though I don't know if I want this to be the World Series I went down to both New York City and Long Island for a little bit for a vacation not that long ago and you could like feel the stress in the city me and my buddy we you know we were driving back from the airport he picked me up and we're listening to you know your sports radio down there and like that was all I wanted to talk about was it was either the Mets or it was the Yankees. You know, hockey was done at that point. Football was not back yet. Basketball, you know, who cares about the Knicks in Brooklyn? I'd say that truthfully at that point it felt like. And so everyone just, but it's also this almost uneasy feel of like, ooh, do we like really want to do that again though? Like, is that, like, is this, is this going to happen? Are we doing this? It did have that uneasy feeling. I think especially because if it happens, I think as as well as the Yankees are playing, I think it is that sort of like known fact. The Yankees aren't like worlds better than the Mets. And to be fair, I think I'm probably rooting for the Mets. But I will say baseball is just a tough sport for me to keep up with, especially as an Angels fan if you pay attention to the morning show at all. When I was on there with them for the past few months, I am an Angels fan. It is a horribly painful experience, one that I um, I can't believe I still put up with, but I do. I do. I'm not a fan of it. But yes, 
Mets-Yankees going on right now as Subway Series kicks off. That'll do it here on the Nightcap on WGR. Thanks for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with Shope and the Bulldog. And, of course, tomorrow at training camp it is back open to fans. Howard and Jeremy will be there along with the Extra Point. Thanks for listening. This has been the Nightcap here on WGR. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them with more on the way. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future in vehicles, and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you. A hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Toyota, let's go places.